Could be. Could be Alex. That could be the entry scene. If if we could only get away with it, uh, yeah, copyright would get us every single time. Um, problem problem is YouTube polices that stuff all the time. I don't. One of our first uh, trivia nights, we did a uh, promo for Mike Bravo winning the. The session before and it had some it was a clip from YouTube but it had some music in it and it was not music we were licensed to use so we got hit with a we got hit with a violation yeah we can have Mako singing <laughs> uh, he'll have to watch this later today if you notice we're able to put stuff back on the screen that's because we're not using a restream we're just going to YouTube so um, for those folks that are probably gonna watch this later uh, if you're on Facebook or you're on Twitch all you're going to get from now on is the recorded version. Um, we can't we can't get restream to work right. The the tech folks, the folks on their side of the house that are supposedly the experts at restream can't get it working. Uh, can't get it working right. If I can't get the comments in, then there's no reason to to do it. There's a few people to watch on those platforms right now. Um, Twenty thirty maybe I don't know between the two of them. No, it's a lot of work to, to to mess up the regular stream. So we won't do it anymore. We'll just push to YouTube, and then we'll rebroadcast the show later is in its recorded form. So if you want to be live, you got to be on YouTube. That's the bottom line anymore. Um, where are we at today? Great Smoky Mountains is the uh, container of choice for our Illy coffee this morning. Amanda, we need this morning. Heat wave again, uh, back into another heat wave here in Nova or Northern Virginia. That's how we launch our day. So anybody out here, you know, you know the heat we're going through and humidity is high. That's why you can see there's plenty of condensation forming on everything. It's like 71% humidity in the house. Um, of course, it's going to be essentially 71% humidity outside the house too. Crazy Crazy weather we're having. Um, crazy news we've got. Uh, what is in store for you today? Uh, wasted locker. We're going to talk about that a bit. Um, it's bypassing behavioral detection anti-malware. Um, smarter and smarter. The bad guy gets smarter and smarter every time we figure them out. They get a little bit smarter and smarter. Um, North Korea, posting jobs again. That's... That's their their fishing tool uh, tool du jour of the the month I guess uh, not just not of the day, but of the month. Uh, Facebook has released its static code analysis and that analyzer analysis tool. Uh, that's what I'm trying to say. Um, have I been pwned database? Uh, the guy that runs that has decided he just can't keep up with it, so he's open sourcing it. He's incrementally adding uh, open source pieces to the, the code base so more people can help him keep it updated. And uh, Trump has signed an executive order banning TikTok uh, and a couple other things. But TikTok is the thing we're look, looking at. Um, and it's pre presidential joke day. The jokes, 
The jokes aren't on the president. The jokes are by the president. So that's what we got going on today. Um, that's that's the, that's the lowdown rundown show we're gonna we're gonna conduct this morning. So let's let's roll the intro and get on with this thing. Um, not funny we left that thing up there so long either. Um, I think it's funny if we have Mako sing any Metallica song. He's more of an ACDC guy anyways. So, first up, Wasted Locker. Um, Wasted Locker, we know Wasted Locker's been out for a little while. Uh, Evil Corp, uh, I, I love their logo because it looks like Enron. It's the thing from uh, Mr. Robot. Evil Corp is the folks that have been essentially running Wasted Locker. And Wasted Locker, they they adjusted the way that the tool works so that it can exploit some Windows memory management features and slowly sneak by that behavioral analysis malware protection. So we know, you know, there's behavioral analysis, heuristic type. Uh, malware detection, and then there's signature-based malware detection. And signature-based stuff, you know, it, only, it, it can only identify those things that it knows of and it has a signature for in its database, where heuristics and behavioral-based learn how the users work, how they normally operate, and how the operating system normally operates, and then it looks for things that are not normal and, and detects on those. So. This is from Sophos, and Cyware Social, again, is where this article is coming from, where the story is coming from. But they're saying at the beginning of August 2020, Sophos security research found that Wasted Locker has employed a specific technique to obfuscate its code and perform certain tasks that mirror the subroutines. And it looks like it's mostly, it looks like it's all Windows. So Wasted Locker on Windows, I don't think this would work on Wasted Locker on Linux or Mac. Um, so what it's using is it moves the files to the Windows cache memory. It conducts the data encryption there and then writes them back to the original memory location. Um, to the heuristics or to the, the behavioral-based malware, this looks like it's an allowed system process that's making edits to files, um, avoiding suspicious behavior, right? And, and we know that Normally, a lot of these heuristics or these behavioral things, they look for things like if something's happening too fast, like data is being encrypted, files are being opened and closed way too fast for a person to do it, then they'll they'll trip. They'll say, hey, this is strange. Um, something's going on here. Something's working faster than a person would work. Um, so they trip. Um, and they tell us that, hey, something is wrong on the system. There's malware on the system. And that's kind of part of the way how they work. They, there's a, a way, way more to it than that. Um, the, the, the tracking of a user's behavior, getting a profile of what users normally do so that they can see what is different is, is a longer process than that. But that's one of the things they do. Um, so obviously the, the Wasted Locker has slowed down the process a little bit and they've used um, some normal processing, right? Some normal processing. Morning, Kevin. 
How are you doing today? Good to see you. Um, so that's that's the first thing you know. That's 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 how it's trying to get around this malware detection. Um, BitPamer and Wasted Locker now have a connection, according to these researchers. Um, the researchers identified noteworthy similarities between wait, Wasted Locker and BitPamer code. Um, essentially saying that these two strains of malware maybe have may have been produced by the same author or the same group. Both malware uh, abuse the alternate data stream or ADS. We know a lot of times Mac systems use that, Windows systems don't use that so much. Um, and we could write different parts of metadata to that. And they also abuse the user account control or UAC bypass technique in the same way. Um, they use a similar API resolve functions and encryption methods. So there's a lot of things that are set the same between Wasted Locker and BitPamer that make them seem like they came from the same place. And we know that Wasted Locker was initially used by um, Evil Corp, right? Um, both, both Wasted Locker and BitPamer use custom random notes, a ransom, custom, how about we try that again? Both of them use custom ransom notes for every individual victim. So they're not sending a generic note, it's, 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 it's customizing the note for every individual victim, which is, you know, uh, advanced logic at its, at its best, right? First observed in June 2020, not too long ago, Wasted Locker Ransomware has already caught several targets in association with the Evil Corp Gang, and we reported on that back in June, um, and demanding millions in U.S. payments. They didn't say they got millions, they demand, demanded many, millions. Uh, ransomware recently launched attacks on major U.S. corporations, including dozens of U.S. news sites and the smart, smart watchmaker Garmin. Um, uh, just ransomware. Talking about ransomware in general, which doesn't really belong in this story other than a filler filler piece. Um, bottom line, by Cyware Social, attacks by Wasted Locker have become more frequent, like, frequent lately. Um, looking at the enhancements made by its developers, it should be safe to say these types of attacks will only grow in the near future. As a precautionary measure, security vendors should immediately roll up crucial code updates um, and users to patch their vulnerabilities uh, immediately. And so, okay, we talk about this all the time. So why, why does anyone, why does Evil Corp in this case want to encrypt your files? And again, it's monetary gain. Um, mo monetary gain is the number one reason we're seeing all of these ransomware attacks. And they're being successful. Um, they talk in this one about Garmin. I get the Marine Corps knife hand there. Talk about Garmin, and they're exactly right. Garmin paid the money. Um, they they didn't come out. The article, no article I've read, has ever said that Garmin paid the money to free up their files. But there's just no other way to unencrypt the files, to decrypt the files. There wasn't another way. So these folks, these ransomware operators, they're making money. Um, so as long as they're making money they will continue to do what they're doing. Um, if we look on the cybersecurity framework, right, or the uh, uh, kill chain, right, the, the Lockheed Martin copyrighted cyber kill chain, with ransomware, we have to do all of our stuff on the left side. I guess for you guys, that'd be 
the left side over here. Um, we have to stop them from encrypting the file because once they encrypt the file, there's no way on the right side of the kill chain or the right side of the cybersecurity framework to do anything other than detect it. We can't do anything else about it other than detect it, right? Mike Bravo is going to tell you, yeah, have immutable backups uh, and store them offline or in a location that they can't be accessed from your regular network. Sure, that's good. But if these people pull your files and post them to a public website, that's not going to help you too. So we've got to do everything on the left. We've got to remember, like I'm in the, back in the army doing PT, on the left side of the, the kill chain, left side of the cybersecurity framework. We've got to prevent them from getting in to start with, right? So we've got to have defense in depth. We've got to have perimeter defenses. We have to have diversity of defense. We have to train our end users. We have to apply patches. Um, we've got to update our systems. Uh, we've got to do configuration management. We've got to keep the bad guy from getting in. Because in this case, when the bad guy gets in and they encrypt your files, nine times out of ten, there's there's a few of these few of these ransomware operators, these ransomware tools that are decryptable, but most of those aren't being used anymore. Um, we know they're not. They're using one of these services. Um, they're either Hiring ransomware as a service, they're they're becoming an affiliate of one of the ransomware um, providers, or they, they are the provider themselves. Um, this is this is huge. And again, I, I, every time we talk about ransomware, we talk about the same thing. If your risk people don't have ransomware on your enterprise risk matrix, they are wrong. They probably at this point need to be fired, and you need to replace them with someone else. Ransomware has got to be on your risk matrix. It's got to be. Um, at the enterprise level, probably at the system level too. Um, if it's at an enterprise level, hopefully you're, you're dealing with it at the enterprise level. But if you're a system owner and you're doing the RMF, put the ransomware protections in place. Follow the, the, the guidelines of any of these people that talk about ransomware and do the things you have to do. Um, don't be in the state like Garmin. Garmin is a huge corporation. It's a global corporation and they fell victim to this. And they're not the only one. There's a ton of global folks. And you might think that I'm a small organization, I'm a small group, I'm a small company, I'm a small government organization. I'm off people's radar. But you've got to remember, they're doing this affiliate thing. And the way that affiliates work, you know how it works. It, it, you, know, you get people subscribe and then they go looking for targets. Um, Maybe the big targets are just too hard for some of these people to get into. And they're going to start looking for smaller targets, those lower hanging fruits, those folks that don't have the opportunity to patch their system as much or don't have the money to put into their defensive programs. So you have to really look at this and think about what's on your threat landscape and how ransomware plays into that. I don't say it's got to be your biggest risk, <laughs> excuse me, but it has to be a risk on your matrix. It just, it has to be. If it's not, I don't know, you're in trouble if it's not on your, if it's not on your, if it's not on your radar, you guys are in trouble. I'm not saying you, I'm saying those folks in risk. And this morning, in the morning, we always talk about the, the folks we, we're, our target audience for this show is cyber professionals, those security professionals and those risk management professionals. That's who we're targeting these stories for. That's who we, I look for stories that relate to those three major career fields. And obviously there's a ton of jobs 
up into those in each of those domains. So you got if you got to do it, you got to do it. You got to you got to protect yourself. Um, you know that thing that's North Korea. North Korea is back at it again. Um, the article from Cyware Social. God, I, it seems like two stories come from these guys every single day. These guys are out there jobbing. They're they're doing. They're making things happen. Um, so the article title: North Korean hackers can't seem to take a breath. And, and this isn't really you know, to me. I, I old school. These are social engineers, right? They're talking about in this article. So. The what's going on here, North Korean-based hackers have been targeting defense and aerospace sectors in the U.S. with fake job offers. And we saw this a couple months ago, and back then it was called uh, Operation Northern Star, and I think this is still a continuation of it. And the TTPs look like this is Hidden Cobra, which is a, a, an ATP or eight um, from North Korea. Um, so here's... Here's the trick, according to the article. The attackers use common spear phishing emails that lures victims into opening booby trap documents disguised um, as potential job offers. Um, they're targeting aerospace and defense. Um, they're using a, a technique called template injection. Um, and they're putting in, it's essentially macros in a word template. Um, they're not just going in email, they're going in social media as well. And when they say social media in here, I'm assuming they generally mean LinkedIn. Um, so they're probably going in. And some of you guys may have got this, may have got job offers. Just, you know, if you're out here, if you're out here in the Washington, D.C. area and you are in in the security world, risk or cyber, I'm going to include all those that umbrella. Um, and especially if you have had a clearance or you still have a clearance you are probably going to get job job offers every single day. People wanting you to apply for their jobs every single day. So this just mixes in with all that chaff. So, you know, I, I don't know how it is in, in other places in the country. It may be the same. You just get job offers every day. I know out here every single day you get job offers, and especially, you know, me, I, I don't have any tickets anymore. I'm not cleared to work in any spaces, but I still get a ton of, hey, if you have a TSSCI with a poly, we want you to come work for us. And that's top secret with sensitive compartmental information with a polygraph. Um, they're, 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 they just hit you up all the time. So this is not, would not be uncommon. This would mix in with all that other stuff. Now, personally, I don't open those anymore. Um, if it's something that looks like it would help somebody I know, uh, I might vet it and, and send that forward, but I'm not, I'm not looking for anything. So, but, there's a plenty of people that would fall into this category. They're going to see the job offer and they're going to say, hey, let me jump up on this and see what's going on. So first of all, you're going to have to be in uh, the defense or aerospace industry to start with. Somehow they're going to identify you as working in that. A lot of times that'll be your LinkedIn profile. So jump on your LinkedIn profile. They'll, they'll search for something like maybe your aerospace. Maybe just do a, a search for aerospace. You know, And if you get the pro version of LinkedIn, you're going to have all kinds of tools to do these searches. Um, and then they can just target you. They can target you, and they can target you on the social media, which I'm, think, I'm thinking primarily is LinkedIn. I, the article doesn't say that. I'm just making that leap. And then they're going to take that one step further and start sending you emails. And maybe they're going to do that through the email engine of LinkedIn, or maybe they're doing some other harvesting of credentials or information outside, some open-sourced 
intelligence gathering to get your email address and start sending you job offers. Um, and I don't know how these guys work because they're not saying this is Hidden Cobra again. They're just saying it's part of that operation. So it could be another APT. Um, but they can they can build rapport, especially if this is spear phishing. They're, they're targeting individuals. So it's not just a blanket email to a bunch of people. It's spear phishing, so it's targeted. So they can take a little more time. Maybe they can lead up to it. Maybe the first documents you get are not going to be booby-trapped. And maybe that fourth or fifth document it is. I don't know the perfect TTPs for this one. I don't know how they're doing them. Um, and they don't uh, allude to them on this. Um, but that would be perfect to me. Is you, don't, you don't send the, the booby-trapped document the first time. And it's easy just to steal a job offer from, you know, go on to Raytheon site or Boeing site or Lockheed Martin site, steal some some job postings, repackage them and send them out to people. And then do that, you know, maybe you through negotiations, maybe the last one is the actual offer. You know, here's here's what we're going to look, here's what we're looking at paying you if you go through these, you know, hurdles of, of the job market. Um, I don't know. So more tricks up their sleeves. Further investigation disclosed information regarding the threat actors using South Korean politics as lures, which makes sense. That's their, um, they would love to see people in defense and aerospace that are actually supporting uh, South Korean defense. Several documents were created in the Korean language using similar techniques um, that the defense sector lures uh, of that. of the. So they're, they're targeting the defense sector, the aerospace sector, and it looks like they're targeting uh, South Korea as well. A bottom line for this is these campaigns are focused on intelligence gathering since uh, cyber espionage is now a major way for North Korean regime to support its nuclear ambitions. Moreover, North Korea has built a formidable army of cyber criminals. Um, they have proven prowess in a diverse range of operations. Thus, it's recommended that organizations and individuals follow proper cyber hygiene uh, to stay ahead of these threats. So. Why would they do this? Why would they do this? Okay. Um, we know that a, a direct attack on the Department of Defense or a direct attack on some of these bigger aerospace industries, like I'll use Boeing for an example. Not that Boeing's done anything right or wrong, just that Boeing's a great example to use. Um, their defenses may just be too strong to get into. So what we have to do is we have to get in through another way. So maybe we have a third-party provider uh, third-party contract company, and we can target individuals in that organization. Maybe we can breach their system, get into the third party, and then use that third-party connection to Boeing, an example, not that it had really happened, um, to penetrate that network. So we're using a, a supply chain link to attack the, the network. Maybe, uh, on the other hand, maybe it's just gathering intelligence from the end user and the end user's organization, that third party or whatever. Um, so we got to think about these things. When you get those job offers, and if you're in this field, and I know a lot of you guys are out here in DC, and you're probably, you're probably getting those job offers all the time. You're probably getting at least the opportunity to apply for different jobs probably every day. That's just, that's just the way it is. So this is going to mix in. This chaff is, is going to mix in with the chaff and just be another job offer. And it's going to look fairly legitimate, right? So they're going to, these guys aren't, that dumb anymore. In the days of looking at an email and seeing it so poorly written, um, the grammatic so bad, um, that's only coming from folks that are 
are kind of these script kitties. Um, you still see them, but they're not these targeted adversaries. These adversaries that are specifically targeting folks, they're not. They're, their grammar is going to be well. It's going to. They're, they're going to make sure that things are written well. It's going to make sense. Um, the links back to the organization, if they're a, a fake email, it's going to be close. It's going to look like. So let's say we'll use Lockheed Martin this time. It's going to look like a LockheedMartin.com address. So maybe LockheedMartin.co. Um, it may be a Lockheed Martin spelled with a capital I instead of an L. Um, it, it's it's going to you know that crypto squatting kind of thing. It, it's going to be well crafted because these are nation state actors. These are APT folks. They're not the guy that that is working out of the basement of their house. And, and throwing together something they pulled out of beef um, or the browser exploitation framework. Um, you got to watch out for these. So think about, it's always, you know, d does it pass the sniff test? Um, you know, if, you, if, if you're in the job search, you, you're definitely going to have to look at some of these things. But make sure you're doing it the right way. Make sure you're, you're using trusted sources. Um, and, you know, you, you're going to see, you're going to see a lot of these things. So bottom line, you know, even if, you know, keep your, Antivirus updated, malware protection updated. Have your local um, defenses up. You know, if you have the ability to use a host-based firewall, um, host-based intrusion detection system, have those things on. Have your system updated. Have it patched. Do the things you're supposed to do, um, and be be trained for these types of social engineering attacks. Right, um, and that means we have to train, and we have to do those th same things for our friends, our families, our coworkers. If we're organizationally responsible for that stuff, we have to make sure those defenses are in place for our systems at work, right? So that's what's coming. Why do they do this? They did. That's why. That's the defense. Um, missing anything, Alex? I don't know that we're missing anything on, on that rundown. We got to stay got to stay vigilant, right? Vigilant, vigilance, vigilance is always important. Importante. Um, that's cool. Facebook is in the news for good stuff today. You know, sometimes we see them in uh, the news for not so good stuff. And I'll summarize this article. Got this is from Silicon Angle, um, the voice of enterprise and emerging tech. Um, I think it's the first, first, first article maybe we've got from them. Um, I've looked more into Silicon Angle, where they're coming from. Um, so, Facebook as you know, does a lot of coding. Between Facebook and Instagram, they do a lot of coding. They do a lot of it in Python. Um, you know, like 50% of code, or maybe more than that, let's see. From the article, where Instagram... Instagram's got a ton of Python in it. So anyway, Python's second, second most, most line most widely language, used language uh, in the world as of this earlier this year, especially used for artificial intelligence. I guess I'm going to cut to the point on this one. Um, they have a tool called PISA, um, and I think it stands for, it doesn't say, but I'm assuming this stands for Python Static Analysis Tool. Um, and they've used it to detect uh, a bunch of vulnerabilities. Um, so they looked at the Instagram code base, uh, and I don't know if all of that or a lot of it's written in Python, 
but they spotted 40, 44% of the server-side security issues um, were detected using this PISA application. Some 49 of those flaws were determined to be severe. And, and what this thing is, it's a static code analysis tool. And it will review your code line by line to see if things like uh, user input validation is happening. Uh, make sure that we're not passing malicious code back to the database or we're not passing command injection back to the database. It, it's looking for things like that. It's reviewing your code. It's, it's looking through, through the code to make sure uh, the code is as secure as possible, right? So I'm not saying that you don't do other versions of, of analysis, but if you use this, if you're using Python, this PySA, or Py, I think it's Python Static Analysis tool is now been made available as an open source tool. So you can review your Python code uh, for vulnerabilities, right? So um, Facebook said that PySA lends itself to finding a range of common vulnerability types as well as more subtle common compliance issues. If a company has, say, a policy requiring code components pass personal user data through a privacy filter before storing it in a database, PISA can be configured to detect code that doesn't meet this requirement. So it does a lot of static analysis right out of the box, but you can also modify it to meet your local requirements. Um, so Facebook engineers Graham uh, Blaney um, and Sinan Sapil, I think, um, explain in their blog, PISA performs iterative rounds of analysis to build summaries to determine which functions return data from a source and which functions have parameters that eventually um, reach a sink. Um, so really they're, they're looking, it's a, it, okay, bottom line here. It's a tool, if you're writing Python, this is a tool you can get for free to do static analysis of your Python code for security vulnerabilities. That's the bottom line. Facebook's putting this out there. It's going to be free for you guys to grab, to use, to download, to run your Python code through this. Um, I don't know if anybody's using Python code, um, but um, it looks like to me it's a no-brainer. Uh, go check it out at least. Uh, do your uh, proof, proof of concept, run on it, make sure it meets your requirements for your organization. I would say integrate, integrate this into your pipeline of secure software development, secure software development. Um, run the tool, man, if it's free. Uh, first thing is, you know, free is not always free, right? So we need to see what the overhead is for your organization to run this tool and to run. Uh, we know every, ty every type of scanning tool, including this one, is going to result in some false positives. So you have to go through and see which things are detected that aren't really there. Um, so that's one thing you're going to be responsible for, going out there and doing all that, checking for those false positives. But this is yet another tool you can put in tool, tool belt. See how good it is. This is coming from Facebook. They write a ton of code. Their stuff is all code. Remember, Facebook and Instagram are the same company now. So looking at Instagram code, too. So this looks like a, a tool worth looking at. Um, the why, why on this one, I, I guess they're altruistic. They want secure code. Uh, to be more prolific across the internet. They want their name associated with being something altruistic or something like that. I'm not sure. 
um, why they did it, but it's a good thing they did do it. Now we have another tool that we can use in our tool belt, especially for organizations that are cash strapped or their budgets are limited a little bit. Now we have the ability to, you know, to, to use this type of thing, um, to get it and at least see if it'll work in our organization. Maybe it, maybe it's too much overhead for you. Maybe it's, it's gonna, it doesn't work in your environment for one reason or another. But I say at least go grab it, uh, run it in a test environment, see how it does, see how it compares to maybe a paid tool you guys are using, or maybe you're using, heaven forbid, maybe using manual static analysis where you have some person, security or programmer, sitting there and line by line reviewing, reviewing code to make sure it's secure. Uh, this is going to speed up that process. This is going to make that process more repeatable. It's going to make that process better because it's going to actually find more vulnerabilities because that, unfortunately that guy or girl, you know, gender neutral that's sitting there watching, looking at each of those lines of code is susceptible to human error. After a bunch of lines of code, they may miss something. And we have to have, you know, we have to look for things like user input validation, cross-site scripting, all these things that are, are common in code. Uh, a lot of them can be common in Python. So, uh, and, and if you're using Python, a lot of, I know a lot of people use Python. Even if you're doing this on, as, a, as an individual, you know, things you're writing yourself, this might be a tool to grab uh, to check your own code, code you're building your own projects at home on. So things worth checking out. Uh, that's, that's my bottom line. I'd say at least go check this thing out. Might be, a, might be something you can add to your tool kit at work or at home. If you don't know what this one is, this is the Have I Been Pwned uh, logo. That's what that is. Uh, it's supposed to be some guy sword fighting, I think. Uh, I think. Um, so essentially this one is, um, ha Have I Been Pwned is a, is a great site. You can go out there, you can put your email address into the Have I Been Pwned engine. It will search through the databases it has and see if your email address has been linked to any of the breaches in the recent past. It goes back quite a bit. Um, you know, we know that a lot of people reuse passwords. They use the same password on multiple accounts. Um, and this can lead to an attack called stuffing, where an attacker goes to something uh, like one of these, these email dump sites. They find your username, uh, your email address. They find the password that's been dumped to these sites because they're coming from a breach. And then they just try that, they try that, try that combination on as many places as they can. Maybe they try it on Twitter, they Facebook, banking sites, Amazon. They try it everywhere they can to see if you've reused your credentials. That's why password hygiene says we don't reuse our credentials. And I know what you're going to say, uh, or I know what your end user is going to say, your friends, your families, coworkers. Like I can't manage that many passwords. I can't. I use the same passwords. I build a strong one, and I use that across multiple sites. Well. If you get breached, if not you get breached, if that database gets breached of that place you're using that password and it gets put on one of these sites, they can do stuffing. They can try that password on different sites, that password and username combination on different sites using the stuffing technique and maybe get access to other, other sites. So I'm saying use something like a, a secure password locker. Um, plenty like Semantic if you get their antivirus you get access to the, the password locker they have as well. It's a good way for them to keep you as a customer forever because now all your passwords are in that locker. Um, so that's what that's what Have I Been Pwned is. It just it pulls a lot of these breach informations, information in, this breach data, 
and then it allows you to search one place to see if your name is appearing in any of these breach sites your email address is occurring any of the breach sites so um, it, it's it's a big task to keep this site up up to date right so a guy named it's been run by a guy named Troy Hunt he's been kind of maintaining himself he's got a bunch of things he wants to do to it uh, he wants to improve it he wants to make it better he wants to do all kinds of stuff but he can't because he's one guy working this thing and he, he tried to sell it um, he tried to offer it for sale and for one reason or another that didn't work he wasn't able to sell it so now he's doing the next best thing they say he's this is a ZD, ZDNet article that's obviously in the show notes below um, so what he's doing now is he's put it out to open source and he's trying to get more people working on it so that all these things he wanted to do to the to the have I been pwned database can be implemented right um, so he's saying if he can reach out to the open source community and they can add more features and do this stuff it's going to it's going to make the the program better um, for everyone so that that's what he's doing he's releasing it a little bit at a time um, a little bit of code at a time and that's just I, I think because he's trying to clean things up before he moves it out I don't know that for a fact right um, Troy says, um, all that black log, all the bugs, all the bugs, all those great new ideas people have, I simply can't implement myself. If the community is willing, finally uh, be contributed back into the project, is what he says. So um, said I've been I've been pwned, can't be dumped onto GitHub in its current state. So Hunt is working with talent across the open source and cloud systems to open up the code base incrementally so there is no fixed timeline for the platform to fully go open source. Um, when it comes to the data, even uh, possessing it is a gray area. Um, it, him just, just, he, just compiling this data can be a problem. Um, so he's word, used the word community a lot can't under, underestimate the importance of the role other people have played in the project success, Hunt says. I know this will be met with much enthusiasm because that's what you have been telling me for a long time. I've listened and now I want to make that a reality. So this sounds like it's just a, a pet project he had. He started it just developing this database of, uh, of folks that have had their data breached. He started making it searchable, so you go one place instead of a bunch of locations to see if your name is appearing in one of these data dumps or your email address. So it sounds like he truly was altruistic starting this. He did try to sell it to make some money, it looks like. He tried to sell it. Um, that didn't go anywhere for one reason or another. But then he just said, he said, let's open this thing up. Let's make it available to everyone. So we can probably see a lot more stuff coming out the other side of this once it gets fully moved into open source. Um, we can see some probably vast improvements very quickly, um, and we may see some other tools coming out, um, and probably, unfortunately, some commercial tools coming out the other side of this. We'll see people jump on the open source, um, and that will be that. Hopefully, uh, if you found yourself out there, that that is, uh, you know, there's so many places so many that 
if you're in one of these breach sites, it's not your fault. It's the folks that owned your data's fault. Cyborg. Um, so I have been pwned. That, that, that happens sometimes. Uh, your, your data gets put out there uh, by one of these thir third parties that has your data. That's why we have to think about what sites we're signing up for. We need to have different passwords for all the different sites. They need to be strong. Each of them needs to be strong. I would say use a password vault. In this story by ZDNet, they link to a couple stories. Um, one of them is the best password managers for business. Uh, 1Password, Keeper, LastPass, and more. Um, use one of those. Use one of those lockers. A lot of times, those password keepers, those lockers, will develop strong passwords for you. So you can say, hey, I want a 14-character password. I want it to be uppercase, lowercase numbers, and special characters. You push the button. It creates the password. You can use it on that site, and then it will store it in the password keeper, that password vault, um, for you to use. Uh, and I know everything comes at a risk. Using a vault's a risk because if that gets breached, then all your passwords become breached. But at least that's... I haven't heard any big stories of... I actually haven't heard any stories of these, these secure vaults being breached because um, they have to breach into each individual one. So that's, that's, that's the advice on this one. Um, strong passwords, complex passwords, different passwords for every site, uh, different username. If you can get away with it, different usernames for every site and use a vault of some type to keep them. That way you don't have to have, face it, we're going to either write it down on a piece of paper or we're going to keep it in a vault because um, people can't remember. I had this complex username and password on a site A and then I had a different username and password complex password on password site B, and then ZZ has a different one, and 123 has a different one. Uh, that's unmanageable. So we have to remember, as security people, we have to balance things, right? We've got to balance usability and security. So in this case, I think password vault is the way to go. Um, let me know what you think of that. I'm interested to hear that. And our last news story of the day, TikTok. Um, so on Thursday, President Trump evoked his emergency economic powers to impose broad sanctions against TikTok, a move that steps up pressure on the Chinese-owned app um, to sell its U.S. assets to an American company. And we know, we, we talked about that this week or last week. The American-owned company is Microsoft. Microsoft is in negotiations to buy, buy the U.S. portions of TikTok. Um, you know, it's, it, it's, it's tenuous. It's tenuous. I see why the president did this. Uh, it's putting pressure on TikTok to go ahead and sell those. We bite, bite dance the company that owns TikTok. Um, it's, it's going to be impacted by this. So the order, which takes effect in 45 days, uh, any transaction between TikTok's parent company, ByteDance, and a U.S. citizen will be outlawed for national security reasons. Um, in practice, expert told NPR, the order will likely mean that vir the viral video service could no longer receive advertisements from American companies, and the app could remove, be removed from the Apple and the Google app stores. Um, this will mean that you can't get updates, so eventually over time it'll first become less secure, and then it'll just stop working. Um, there's, like everything in politics, there's all kinds of turmoil and turbulence around this. Um, 
some folks are saying that the president is interfering with commercial negotiations between TikTok in China, ByteDance, and Microsoft, because that's who's going to buy the, the vested interest in the company uh, in the United States. Um, other people saying, you know, Chinese, the Chinese company that's ByteDance is controlled and owned by the Chinese government. So, you know, is it a government-to-government thing? Is it a government-to-private thing? Is it, I, I don't know. I know that um, it has been fairly strongly proven that ByteDance is taking data from the servers of the United States and sending it back to China. Um, they weren't supposed to do that. That was part of the agreement they had. Um, that data wasn't supposed to leave the United States, but it did. They came back saying it wasn't it wasn't sensitive information. We don't know. Um, in a statement by TikTok, they say uh, they are shocked by the executive order, claiming that Trump in- in- administration paid no attention to facts, um, dictated terms of agreement without going through standard legal processes, and tried to insert itself into negotiations between private businesses. Um, So, question, how is having your data being sold or hacked domestically any better than private organizations um, could have to foreign? Uh, you, you bring a good point up. Yeah, that Facebook, we know Facebook, we know Google. All these corporations are harvesting data. Um, it's no better domestically than foreign, foreign nationals other than... Um, Essentially, we know why Facebook and Google and those folks are harvesting data. Um, we know that they're doing it for commercial gain. We don't know what China's doing with this thing. And I think the biggest thing is um, the rules that were in place around TikTok um, limited them from taking that data out of the United States. That's one of the rules they broke. Um, you're, you're right. You're, you're, the, the essence of your point makes perfect sense. You know. It's no if you sign up for Facebook or you sign up for Google or you sign up for YouTube, any of these things, they are they those corporations those organizations are harvesting your data. And if you don't believe that to be true, um, just go look for a lawnmower one day and see how many new ads for lawnmowers pop up on your your timeline or your YouTube search or your Google search. The data is being harvested. Harvested. Um, the reason they're doing it, I think that's the, that for me, that's the point. The reason they're doing this data gathering is the thing that alarms me. Um, commercial organizations are doing it in the United States. Um, some would say that those commercial organizations are sharing that information with the government. I don't know whether that, that is or that is not true. That's up for the conspiracy theorists to, to, to take on further. I think, to me, that's the big distinction between this is... Um, we are we give a ton of information to commercial organizations in the United States. They're domestic. Um, we don't necessarily do it so much with companies that are outside the United States uh, because we don't necessarily know what they're going to do with the data. That's that's my point on it. I, I think you know your point at at the root of the point, your point is makes sense. You know why do we care more about China doing it than Facebook doing it? Um, we should be protective of our information anyways. But it, it, again, we're talking about your friends, your families, and your coworkers. They're going to have these apps. They're going to have, they, I guarantee you all know somebody that's got TikTok on, TikTok, TikTok on their phone right now. And I know you probably can 
uh, hear those songs and you know that they're watching a TikTok video because they've got several songs that are very distinct to TikTok. Um, and as security people, we have to be here to at least give them the information. So that's that's one thing I don't whether whether giving sending that data to China is more dangerous than sending that data to Facebook. I don't know that's true. I just know that as a security, a cyber or risk professional, we need to be able to tell our friends, our families, our coworkers, our organizations, here is the risk with using TikTok. And we should be saying the same thing. Here is the risk with using Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and all these other things. Each of them comes with their risk. So I, I, I definitely get your point. It is on the money. I just, you know, what is the intention of using that data? Um, and I, I guess we've all bought into it's okay for them to use it commercially, to target me for ads, to use these commercial, this commercial movement, um, but it's not okay to use it maybe against me politically or against our, our nation politically uh, based on, on that. Hopefully that. Hopefully that covers down. I don't know if you have uh, any to add to that. Anyone else? Uh, that's how I see it. That's, that's my view of the world. It's very focused on my background, of course. Uh, so it may be different than what you guys think. Ah, uh, Le Agua. So on to different things. We'll see. We'll see what happens with this. As, as uh, these executive orders, we, there's a bunch of executive orders that came out, um, and we'll see how they see how they all pan out, right? Um, presidential joke day is today. This is your holiday of the day. This is not making a joke about the president, although many people want to. And that's not just the current president. That's whatever sitting president there is. There's always a ton of jokes about them. This is uh, this was started. This this national presidential joke day was started in '84 um, when Reagan made a comment. I can never, I got to look the comment up. It's in the link. You can link look the look this up in the link. So this is tied back to a joke that Reagan made. In '84, um, he was doing a sound check for a radio broadcast, and he said, "My fellow Americans, I'm pleased to tell you that I've signed legislation that would outlaw Russia forever. Uh, we begin bombing in five minutes." And he was doing a sound check. Um, he didn't know it was a live feed, so it went out. Not everyone got the joke. Uh, Soviet officials got word of the broadcast and put their military on high alert. Obviously, maybe the timing wasn't good, but this started Presidential Joke Day. And if you go to the link, um, you know, there's there's jokes from Reagan, there's jokes from Bush, Barack Obama, and, and a bunch of other people on here. Um, there's also the link to the presidential joke, presidential joke site that talks a little bit about this. Began August 11, 1984. Um, that's when he said the, said this, this joke. I guess at the time, it definitely... Could have been taken way, way, way out of context. Um, that's when we're you know, obviously deep in the Cold War. Things could could have gone terribly wrong there. Um, so you guys know we're we are on YouTube uh, live uh, solely now. We're not rebroadcasting to the other plat platforms live. A frog in my throat. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, we're not broadcasting live to those other platforms. Those will go out later in the day 
pre-recorded. <clears throat> we'll push them over there. So yeah, if you want to be in, involved in the inter interaction, you'll have to be on YouTube. Um, that's so we can keep the conversation going. We can see your comments. We can put them on the screen so other people can read them. Casey can't understand me, which uh, of course could certainly happen. <clears throat> but this will include our trivia night on Thursday this week. So Thursday will not be broadcast to Facebook. It won't be broadcast to Twitch. It'll only be on YouTube. Um, that's at 7 p.m. Eastern time. We'll start, we'll get everybody up and running. It'll probably go from 7 to 8.15 or something like that. Um, great time to get together with like-minded individuals and talk about the cyber trivia that you know. And some new things, we'd like to throw the new things out there. Uh, we do have one round just focused on the risk management framework. So if you're an RMFer, then uh, you definitely have to be there for that round. Um, focusing on RMF version 2 uh, out of 837 revision 2. So RMF 2.0 will be the topic of one round of 10, four rounds of 10 this time. Um, we got some, we got one, one round that is fill in the blank. You're going to have to not just guess what the answer is. It's going to be fill in the blank. So we'll see. This always a good time, always a time to sit around with like-minded people virtually and enjoy trivia night. It's a good time, I think. I always have fun. Um, questions are all done. They're all ready. We're going to do our dry run today. We're going to go through them. I think it's going to be a good time. So always, always want to see you there. I did want to walk through something really quick, and I'm let me find the camera that's going to work best for this. I think it's going to be our, our side shot camera here, this one. And maybe I'll do some, Oh, man, not adjustment that much. So I'm going to adjust it to about here. You can see Emotet. We've no, named the gorilla Emotet just because that, that makes good cyber sense to name the gorilla Emotet. I wanted to, we started, like, you know, we, we are, we are, let me pull back here real quick. We started working on getting the Ubiquity network set up. So that means we finished up um, the security for the Xfinity network, that, that if you need to secure a network and you can't, really afford anything other than the box that you get from the cable company, there are ways to secure that. And we finished that thing up. So now we're moving on to the next stage. We're jumping the middle stage, and we're going to go back to that. The middle stage is if you've got the internet connection and then you get a thick AP client that has things like some levels of firewalling, some levels of intrusion detection, some levels of uh, port forwarding, that kind of stuff. We're going to skip that and come back to it. But I wanted to, you know, one of the things we talk about a lot in the difference between this Unify, this Ubiquity Unify network, and the other two networks, either the the cable company's box that you get or the cable company's box plus an access point, is the difference between a thick client and a thin client. This is one of the things if you're if you're going for a ton of the certifications where you have to, you know, ITF plus, uh, Security plus. Network Plus probably talks about it. You're gonna you're gonna see it in C, CISSP. You're gonna see it in a ton of different um, certifications. You know what is the difference between a thick client and a thin client? And that's just what I want to show you. Since we had all the network gear, all this gear out and about, now we'll go back to the Emotet view now. Um, ah, the reach is on. This is oh man, this thing here. Yeah, maybe. We'll 
Get rid of that. I don't want to get that. A lot of cameras in the background that way. Okay, we'll do this. So this is a thick client. This is a Linksys thick client. You can see it's it's not because it's thick like this. It's because it has everything in it it needs to run. So it has a DHCP server. It has um, a firewall. It has some IDS and IPS. It, it Everything is managed from this box. This box controls everything. Um, inside here you can, you, you know, you only need this and a cable connection. So on the back you'll see it's even got it's even got a switch, so it's a router, it's a switch, it's IDS, IPS. Um, it's got the ability to plug USBs into it so you can add storage or whatever to it. Um, four port local switch, um, your internet connection. This thing does everything in one, one package. This is one package, it does it all. Um, and we know that sometimes when you do one package to control it all, um, there can be problems, so there's, there's drawbacks to this. That means uh, because it's it's limited in processing power, it's limited in the, the bandwidth it can handle, it can only do so much firewalling. It can only do so much IDS and IPS. Um, it's a lot of things put into one container um, that's not that expensive. I think one of these things is like a couple hundred bucks. I, I don't remember what I paid for this, maybe two or three hundred dollars for this thing. Um, it's a decent one, and it's, this, one's, this one's a couple years old, so it's, you know, there's, there's new ones out now. Um, so that's the thick client. Right? So that's that's what you get with a thick access point. This is one of the Unify. This is the uh, APAC Lite. Um, this is 5 gigahertz, 2.4 gigahertz dual radio, multiple user, multiple input, multiple output. And we'll talk about all those things. We talk more about this. But this is a thin client. So we talk about a thin client. This is what we're talking about, right? If I can get the box open. There we go. So with a thin client, we just have just a radio, right? So we have antennas and a radio in this. And this is the only thing. This You'll, you'll mount this onto your wall. Can't get the doodad to turn, right? So it's got a wall plate. We mount it on the wall. We throw this thing up there. And if you look with this one, with the Unify products, uh, you don't see a power adapter, right? So it's only got the... Uh, RJ45 connector, your, your connector for your Cat5, Cat6, Cat7, Cat8, whatever you want to do. Um, it's only got that. So it's really thin. It's really light. Um, and the, the reason you don't see any type of power connector is because these things are, are power over Ethernet, right? So we get we get our power. If I can put this thing back on here. Um, that's a, secures it. Kind of nice, the, the locking mechanism it's got is when you put this onto the wall, it, this tab locks over this plate, and you have to have a little key to fit down in here to, to release this. So when you turn that, it's gonna snap in place and you can't, you know, you'd have to rip the screws out of the wall to take this thing off the wall. So it's real small, really light, really, not really obtrusive. It's, it's and, and some of these they have covers for, you can cover them, make them different colors. Again, no, I am not sponsored by Unify in any way. There's a metal bracket as well. Um, the other thing that comes with this one, is your power over Ethernet injector, right? So we plug this thing in to your 110 outlet. Um, from your switch, if you, have, if you don't have a powered Ethernet switch or a switch with power over Ethernet capabilities, you can plug your normal switch into the one side of this and it comes out the other side with power over Ethernet that will power your thin access point. Now, because this is only a radio, um, 
that means that means that all of the control for this has to come from somewhere else, right? So this is useless by itself. You can't do anything like this one with a thick client. We can plug this into our our internet. We're good to go. We can we can make things happen. Um, with this one, if I plug this into the internet, even if I use the injector for the power over Ethernet, it's not going to do anything for us. We need a controller for this. And the good thing about that is the controller, we can put all our settings into the controller. And in our case, that's the Unified Dream Machine Pro. Um, it could be anything else. If you're using a thick, thick, or excuse me, a thin client, it could be another, another device. We're using the UDM Pro is going to drive ours. And the nice thing about that is we can put the configurations in there one time in the UDM. We can control it from one place and that can run multiple antennas. So we could have 10 or 15 antennas around our corporation all being run by that one that one UDM, right? Um, with these ones, if we had, we had a large location we had to do with these thick clients, we'd have to have 10 of these, right? If we're covering the same area, we have 10 of those thick clients and each of them would have to be managed individually. So we'd have to go into each of them individually and set up the security profiles, the SSIDs, the passwords, all that stuff. So that's why in, in a larger organization, these are these are much better. Um, it's nice these are power over Ethernet, so we can run a, a cord to it, a Ethernet cord, uh, RJ, uh, RJ uh, like Cat6, Cat7 cable to it. It's going to run power over Ethernet. It's going to connect to this thing. and you guys are going to be surprised when we start looking at the unified network, how nice it works together, how well everything works together. Um, because you just, you, once you get this on the network, you just adopt it. You, you, you adopt the, i get this thing to fit back in here. You adopt the access point and you tell it's part of the your Ubiquiti network. It's going to be connected by uh, a cable, so it's a lot easier to ensure that this is being controlled by the right thing. Um, and then all of them will work together. They get adopted in, and it becomes part of your network. Um, so that is that is today uh, your additional little piece of information. The difference between a thick client and a thin client. Just know that this is it's a thick client. It does it does it all right. So we got to pl plug our power in, plug our uh, cable in from our, our cable modem, um, and this is going to create the wireless network. It's going to have some some filtering rules, it's gonna have the ability to do DHCP, it's gonna have all those things. Um, where this one, it's it's just a radio. It's just an antenna and a radio. It needs it needs control from somewhere else. Uh, but there are benefits. Obviously, there are positives and negatives to both of these. Um, and we'll talk about those as we talk more about, well, the antennas are loose on this thing. Um, that was way loose. So as we talk about the positive benefits, uh, if you have a house, uh, and this covers your house. If this thing covers your entire house, it's probably the way to go. It's not going to give you the um, scalability of like a full uh, network design, a full network this, that has something like the UDM Pro protecting it. Because that we can we can do full full on IDS IPS. We have we can do um, firewalling. We can create VLANs. That's something we can't. This thing can't create VLANs. So if we have that Internet of Things, we have a bunch of Alexa devices. We have a bunch of other devices that are connected. We have a uh, you know, smart wash machine or smart smart toaster and our smart you know dryer and all that stuff. We want those on a different network. We can't do VLANs on that thing. We can we can create VLANs not in here, but on the UDM Pro we can connect create a VLAN and that VLAN maybe can only get to the internet. Uh, it's protected. It can't get out there. So 
Um, more to come. Uh, it's, it's around. It's coming around the corner. Um, so we're going to secure the Xfinity network, and then we're going to drop that that network, and we're going to start building uh, our Unify network. And I think you're going to be impressed by Unify. I really do. But that's what we got going on today. I'm glad you could join us. As always, I'm glad you could be here. Thanks for the input. It's always welcome. Uh, it's needed. We've got to have it uh, to do the show right. Um, that being said, you guys be safe out there. Uh, Mike Bravo is going to go get some. I'd say hit that button to subscribe if you haven't already. Please like the video for the logarithm. Um, comment, comment, comment. Love to hear your comments. Um, it, it's needed. Sierra Bravo. There we go. So I'm talking about. Go get some. Yes, go get some. Um, I say be safe. Take care of your friends, your families, co-workers. Take care of each other. Um, we'll see you tomorrow, 7.30 a.m. Eastern, same time same place. Be safe out there. Be secure. Take care of your friends.